From technology to cars to movies to sports and many more, we present a brand new refreshing podcast, Navigate the Future with Nalay Mishra. This young man will be your Google Maps to help you navigate the future. Enjoy this bi-weekly podcast, Navigate the Future with Nalay Mishra. Hello, my dear audience. Welcoming you all to the brand new episode of Navigate the Future with Nalay Mishra. This is the first time I'm talking to you after we decide to take your favorite podcast as your monthly podcast. If you have not subscribed yet, now is the time to hit that subscribe button. As I learn and hear your feedback, I will continue to improve this podcast so your time is well spent with you. Time is the greatest and most valuable resource we have. and I thank you for spending time with me. So what do we have in store today? Today we have two segments. We have a brand new segment. That's right, the wait is over. We now have a brand new segment to our podcast, where as your host, I will review a new piece of technology. My goal is to give you what you need to know without spending a lot of time reading about it. Today's segment will be featuring the Apple Keynote. I bet you will love it. I will welcome your feedback as always. So we will start with a general review regarding the topic, And after that, we will have a special segment with an even more special guest, who is the head of chair at the University of Pittsburgh, who will give you the rare opportunity for you as an audience to get an insight into data science. After that, we will have a detailed review for all the tech people out there regarding the Apple Keynote. So we will have a jam-packed episode. Stay tuned. You're listening to Navigate the Future with Nalay Mishra. Welcome to a brand new segment of Navigate the Future with Nalay Mishra called the Tech Recap. In this segment, I will be talking about the latest updates of the tech industry. Today, I will be talking about the Apple keynote that occurred on September 10th. On that keynote, Apple introduced three new iPhones, the iPhone 11, the iPhone 11 Pro, and the iPhone 11 Pro Max. So let's dive right in. This segment has two parts. One is where I'll share my three favorite things about the iPhone 11 and the iPhone 11 Pro and give my take on both phones. And second, for all the tech people out there, I will get into specs for both the phones. Let's get started. Here are my top three favorite features for the brand new iPhone 11. Number one, the dual lens camera. Apple introduced a brand new dual lens camera on the iPhone 11, replacing the single lens camera on previous iPhones. The iPhone 11's camera has a new wide-angle and ultra-wide-angle lens for 2x zoom and a much wider field of view. The ultra-wide-angle lens captures much more of the scene in the front of the camera, of course, and Apple says that the new dual-lens camera is also 3 times faster than earlier iPhone cameras. And I believe this camera is really good for a $699 phone. On to the next one. Number 2. Night Mode Night mode, as the name suggests, lets you take photos in the evening with lighting that's never been possible before on an iPhone, thanks to the new hardware and the new machine learning algorithms. Though night mode brightens photos, it also preserves the nighttime feeling, balancing the light and the dark elements of an image. Number 3. New Glass Apple says that the new glass on both the front and the back of the new iPhone 11 is the strongest glass ever to be used on a smartphone. That should hopefully mean fewer cracks from accidental drops. 
And I don't know about you, but I definitely need that. My take. Here's my take on the iPhone 11. If you're looking to get a phone, I would definitely recommend this. It has a good low price at starting at $699. It has a really good camera with the new dual lens. And I believe it has really good features that would definitely pack a punch for anyone looking for a phone. So if I were to recommend you an iPhone right now, I would recommend the iPhone 11. That's all for the iPhone 11. Now let's move on to another phone that Apple introduced in the keynote, the iPhone 11 Pro. So you just heard my favorite features on the iPhone 11. Now here are my top three favorite features on the iPhone 11 Pro. Number one, again, the camera. So Apple bumped it up a notch with the iPhone 11 Pro and now has three cameras, the telephoto, the ultra wide and the wide angle lenses. So people, lots of people have made the claim that this camera is the best camera on a smartphone ever. In fact, Apple even said that in their keynote. It has beautiful video recording capabilities, plus amazing crisp photos with color accuracy through the roof. Number two, battery life. One of the most common complaints every time Apple launches a new phone is the battery life, but not this time. The iPhone 11 Pro has about 10 and a half hours of battery life, and it offers good endurance, and it beats the iPhone XS's battery by four hours, so it definitely has good battery. Number three, the video recording capabilities on the front camera. Previously on the iPhone XS, the video recording for the front camera was up to 180p at 60 frames per second, or FPS. Now a Apple bumped that up to 4K 60fps, which gives you beautiful crisp quality on even the front camera. And now they've added 240 frames per second on the slow-mo video, allowing you to take selfies in slow-mo, or how Apple calls it, slow fees. My take. Here's my take on the iPhone 11 Pro. These better features come for a higher price. The iPhone 11 Pro starts at $999. If you want an OLED display, better battery life, and a much better camera, I would definitely recommend the iPhone 11 Pro for you. That's all for my favorite features of the two phones. Coming up next is a special guest who will be talking about data science. Well, what is data science? Data science is basically the process of analyzing data to solve problems. You're probably wondering, why should I care? Well, have you ever ordered an Uber for a way higher price than usual? Have you ever been on that website and an ad pops up of an item you've been wanting to get for a while now? Well, that's all the power of data science. Interested? Well, stay tuned. You're listening to Navigate the Future with Nalay Mishra. I have the privilege and honor of welcoming Professor Pradada to my podcast. Professor Pradada is the Chair of Department of Biostatistics at the University of Pittsburgh and has graciously accepted my invitation to share his thoughts and insight with our audience. I may not do justice, justice in introducing him here, hence I would like to request him to share his introduction. Welcome to the podcast, Navigate the Future with Nalay Mishra. Could you please briefly introduce yourself? 
Nele, thanks for doing this. Um, so as you said, I'm the chair of the Department of Biostatistics at University of Pittsburgh. Uh, my own background is that um, I have my PhD in statistics and uh, over the years I have been working in uh, various universities and uh, also in the government and my interests are rather broad and lately I have been quite interested in this field of data science. Thank you so much. Again, a great honor. I love being the host of this podcast as it gives me a unique opportunity to interact with the distinguished leaders in their field. Jumping straight into the interview. Professor Pradada, we hear this buzzword data science. Knowing that most of my audience are aspiring doctors, scientists, engineers, and researchers, how would you explain data science to us? So that's a very good question. So data science means a lot of different things to different people. So as you can say from the name, uh, uh, it's a field where it involves some scientific question of interest. You're trying to answer something that, uh, or you want to predict some events, and uh, and you want to do it using some data. So that's as simple as that. However, there are a lot of different components to it. Uh, so if you have a scientific question in mind, you need to collect suitable data. And often these data are very large these days. And the next step would be once you collect the data, you need to store it and then you need to process it, you need to clean it, you need to visualize it and you need to develop methodologies to answer the scientific question of interest. And this is where the data analytics and methodologies come, uh, leading to a very broad spectrum of methods, uh, including uh, machine learning type of techniques, artificial intelligence, and all those things are wrapped up in. So the data science is really a collection of activities. It's truly an interdisciplinary science where the ultimate goal is to answer a scientific question using data. We always had statistics. So why the need for data science? Is it just a fancy word for advanced statistics? Again, that's a very nice question. Uh, statistics is in my opinion, one of the components of data science. And, uh, well, some statisticians would argue that this is what we have been doing for decades. And uh, uh, so data science is actually an aspect of statistics, but I think it's more broader than that. Uh, It all starts again with the scientific question of interest. And statisticians, we develop methodologies to... uh, to analyze the data, but there are as- different aspects to it. We, we have developed methods to visualize data. We have developed methods to clean the data. We have developed methods to fill the missing data and so on. So these are all part of statistical methodology. But the part that is novel, in my opinion, is given the dimension of the data, the size of the data, how you manage these large data sets requires computing skills. Uh, It requires very specialized ways of uh, putting the data together. In fact, a lot of times people are interested in integrating a lot of different databases together to get to a scientific question. So to do those kind of activities, the classical statistician is not trained to do that. Classical statistician does certain aspects of data science. So the computer science is very important in this setting. So the data science is actually... Uh, has got three components in my opinion. One is the computer science aspect of it. The other aspect is the statistical methodology. 
And the third aspect is the scientific question of interest. So it's much more broader than just statistics as a field. I don't know if I make sense. That makes complete sense. So you're saying that statistics, like the uh, data science is much broader than just statistics. Right. Statistics, what we are doing is we are developing methodologies to do various things, as I just said. But once the data becomes large, we need computing power. That's mm -hmm. one aspect. Then you need computer scientists. Maybe I didn't emphasize one aspect. The computer computational algorithms are very important. And that's where the computer scientists play a big role. They develop methodologies to speed up the computation, to develop parallel computing and all that kind of stuff. It always helps to relate data science to the real world. Could you please share a real world example where data science is making a difference? So again, that's a very good question, and you have a lot of nice questions. Thank you. I really am enjoying this entry, I have to say that. <laughs> so, uh, so data science is playing a big role, and it will continue to play a big role in our lives. Um, just to give you a simple example, uh, for instance, uh, if you are thinking of uh, driverless cars, which may be the trend in the future, or maybe it's already in experimental stages in various places, uh, the challenge there would be uh, you need to be collecting data almost 24 by 7 to understand the driving patterns. You need to understand um, uh, whether it's highway traffic or it's city traffic or if it is uh, evening traffic or morning traffic, rush hour traffic and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so you need to train the machine to understand various possible scenarios. And in, in those scenarios, how does uh, the car, uh, or how does the driver or the AI driver should react? So to do those kind of things, you really need, uh, so these are serious prediction problems. And so you need uh, this, this data science type of enterprise to collect sensible information so that you have fewer accidents. The goal is obviously uh, not to have too many accidents or practically zero accidents if possible. So this would be one example where data science is going to be very important. And there are in healthcare, uh, that will be a very uh, important place where data science will play an important role because when you talk of personalized medicine, uh, I can see easily uh, humans are governed by the genome, then there's microbiome, and then there is the environment, and so on, where they live, and so on. So you have all these components play a role in the health of a patient. And to how do you treat each patient will depend upon these various high-dimensional factors. So this will be another opportunity for data science type of methods or artificial intelligence type of methods to play a role. Could you please help us understand your personal journey into this space? I and my audience always appreciate hearing personal stories. So uh, data science, as I said, is a very broad term, and it has multiple components to it. Um, so as I said, there's a scientific question or some scientific problem of interest to you, and you're trying to use data to answer those questions. That's the basic point. And my own uh, training and my own research programs and my own interests are some aspects of this data science. So I don't, I definitely am not a computer scientist and I don't have, I don't do anything serious with computing. But what I do is I develop methodologies which can feed into analyzing high dimensional data. So that would be my space. 
So I've been, again, evolving just like the field has been evolving. And uh, uh, maybe 25 years ago, I was not working on high-dimensional data. I was doing more classical statistics. But as the data sets became, started to become larger and larger, like genomics, which I got involved in, or the toxicogenomics, where we are looking at how the chemicals in the environment uh, are affecting our body, or um, and how how they're interacting with the genome, uh, or nowadays I'm interested in microbiome, where we are dealing with thousands and thousands of microbes in our body, and they are involved in various biological processes. In fact, uh, we are more microbes than humans. If we have one trillion human cells, we have ten trillion human uh, microbial cells. And similarly, if we have about 20,000, roughly 20,000 genes of human origin uh, or human genes, um, we may have uh, as much as 2 million to 20 million uh, genes which are microbial genes. So basically we are more microbes than humans. And uh, so these days people are finding out that a lot of human diseases are basically governed by, or if not governed, at least mediated or even they're in the pathway, the microbes are in the pathway of all this. So if you want to talk about now personalized medicine or if you want to go in that direction, you need to understand not just the genome anymore, you need to understand the microbiome. So, um, so therefore, I, I think um, if you want to describe personalized medicine, you really need to cover uh, very high dimensional data. We are talking about genome, the microbiome and also the exposure. So humans, so we are exposed to all kinds of chemicals around us. So if you want to really get into the details about uh, of any kind of phenotype, if you want to describe any kind of health condition, you have to take this whole thing together. So my interest is in the interactions among these various things. And that's what I've tried to study and I developed methodologies for it. And so the statistical methods that I developed in this kind of frame, in this kind of setting, feeds into the data science kind of thing because now you can take these methods and in you know put it into this big uh, puzzle of uh, describing the overall uh, scientific question that you may have so that's how i enter this space we've been talking about data science but there are two similar terms big data and data analysis how does data science differ from big data and data analysis again uh, as, as i said a few minutes ago. Uh, data science is a field with a variety of activities. You've got some scientific question, you collect data, and you organize the data, you process the data, use statistical methods to analyze the data, use computational methods to uh, apply the statistical methods, and so on. Data analysis, uh, I'll start with the second part of your question. So data analysis is just a process of analyzing or summarizing data. So this is a very generic term. It gets applied to any time you have a data, you're trying to uh, summarize the data somehow. Big data is a term that is used for large data sets. So for example, as we just talked about uh, uh, driverless cars, you are collecting large pieces of information of all kinds. And so big data is a data that consists of a lot of different parameters and large sample sizes 
and it's a huge matrix essentially of numbers or sometimes this may not be numbers even this could be just fields of characters so big data is a term used for large data sets data analysis are the are basically methods of processing these data but data science is actually a bigger set in one of our podcast episodes we talked about artificial intelligence what is the relationship between data science and ai could you please help me and my audience connect the dots again that's a very good question and uh, the way i think about data science as i've been saying for the last several minutes is it's a collection of various activities so you have started the scientific question you collect some data and then you find ways to process the data with all things going in between so cleaning the data missing the filling the missing values and all that kind of stuff and eventually you come up with methods of analyzing this data so the method the, so the data analytics part in, includes a wide range of methodologies and uh, if people are interested in prediction type of problems then people have developed all kinds of machine learning type of methods so ai can be viewed as a a a, a strategy a collection of strategies or a strategy to analyze these complex data and so i view ai as one of the activities uh, basically the activity being uh, a collection of tools to do some predictions from these large data sets so that's the distinction between data science so so it, it is a part of the activity of data science this is one of my favorite questions to ask please advise our listeners who want to be data science in the future how should they approach it what should we focus on uh again that's a very nice question to ask um the fundamentals of data science in my opinion is really comes down to solid mathematics so in your schools make sure you'll get good solid grounding in mathematics um and statistics and uh, computing so if you know how to do computing if you know how to uh, if you understand the principles of statistical thinking and the f- mathematics uh, then uh, you should be in a good place and finally i always say that um you have to think very scientifically you need to think very clearly you need to think logically and you need to understand the real question of interest often people solve the wrong problem and that's the issue so you need to make sure you're answering the question that is of interest and once you understand the question of interest then you should be able to formulate mathematically or statistically or whatever and and develop methodologies thank you so much for the being on this podcast i love the insightful conversation that we had well i i really think this is a very nice uh, podcast that you are doing thank you. and uh, i like your series very much and uh, they are very thoughtful series you ask thank very you. good questions your thank questions you. are insightful <laughs> because they make they responded to give useful answers so i think you did a very nice job congratulations thank you thank you again for being taking your time and being on this episode you are very welcome that's all for this segment i hope you enjoyed 
Coming up next is the detailed review of the three phones introduced in the Apple keynote. Stay tuned. You're listening to Navigate the Future with Nalay Mishra. Apple on September 10th unveiled the iPhone 11, its new flagship 699 smartphone that offers a range of powerful features at an affordable price tag. Sold alongside the more expensive iPhone 11 Pro and iPhone 11 Pro Max, the iPhone 11 is going to be the perfect iPhone for most people. The iPhone 11 succeeds the iPhone XR, and it features a 6.1-inch LCD display that Apple calls a Liquid Retina HD display. It features a 1792x828 resolution at 326 ppi, a 1400 to 1 contrast ratio, 625 nits max brightness, true tone support for adjusting the white balance to the ambient lighting, and wide color support for true to life colors. Like the iPhone XR, the iPhone 11 does not include 3D touch. Instead, it uses haptic touch. Haptic touch is supported across iOS 13, but it lacks the pressure sensitivity of 3D touch. Design-wise, the iPhone 11 features a glass body that comes in six different colors, white, black, yellow, red, purple, and green. The latter two colors are both new in 2019. The iPhone 11 doesn't look much different than the iPhone XR, but Apple says it's made from the toughest glass ever in a smartphone and offers improved water resistance, IP68, boosting overall durability. Spatial audio offers a more immersive sound experience, and Dolby Atmos is supported. The camera system sets the iPhone 11 apart from the XR, with Apple introducing a new dual-lens camera that's an improvement over the prior single-lens camera. The camera setup features a standard wide-angle camera and a new ultra-wide-angle camera with a 120-degree field of view. Unlike the iPhone 11 Pro and Pro Max, there's no telephoto lens camera. According to Apple, the ultra-wide lens camera captures four times more scenes, making it ideal for landscape photos, architecture images, tight shots, and more. Both of the cameras work together to enable portrait mode for people, pets, objects, and more. An upgrade over the XR that only supported person shots in portrait mode. The camera interface on the iPhone 11 has been overhauled with a more immersive experience that lets you see and capture the area outside of the frame using the ultra-wide camera if desired. The 2 times optical zoom is supported, as is digital zoom up to 5 times. The iPhone 11 is similar to the iPhone 11 Pro. Apple has added a new night mode that's designed to use the iPhone's processing abilities and the new wide camera sensor to capture crisp, clear, bright photos even in low lighting conditions, similar to the night sight mode on Google Pixel devices. Next generation smart HDR takes advantage of machine learning to capture more natural looking images with improved highlight and shadow detail. And this fall, Apple is introducing a deep fusion feature that will use advanced machine learning techniques for pixel by pixel processing of photos, optimizing of texture, details, and noise. All in all, the iPhone 11 offers much improved photographic capabilities over the XR. 4K video recording with extended dynamic range is available in 24, 30, or 60 FPS, 
and both of the cameras in the iPhone 11 can be used for recording video, with live swapping available using a simple tap. A quick take video mode lets you hold down on the shutter button in the camera app to automatically record video with subject tracking, and an audio zoom feature matches the audio to the video framing for more dynamic sound. The front-facing true depth camera system has been updated with a new 12 megapixel camera, making Face ID up to 30% faster and able to work from more angles. For the first time, it supports 120 FPS slow-mo video, allowing users to capture slow-mo selfies, aka slowfies. The True Depth camera also supports next-generation Smart HDR for more natural-looking photos, and it can record 4K video at 60 FPS. Inside the iPhone 11, there's an A13 Bionic 7 nanometer chip, along with a third-generation neural engine. Apple says that the A13 Bionic is the fastest chip ever in a smartphone, with a 20% faster CPU and GPU than the A12. New machine learning accelerators allow the CPU to deliver more than a trillion operators per second, and the neural engine is faster than ever for real-time photo and video analysis. That's all for the iPhone 11. The iPhone 11 Pro and the iPhone 11 Pro Max are follow-ups to the iPhone XS and the iPhone XS Max. The iPhone 11 Pro measures in 5.8 inches, whereas the iPhone 11 Pro Max comes in at 6.5 inches. The iPhone 11 Pro uses OLED display technology, which means you get improved colors and deeper blacks. The display of the iPhone 11 Pro is 2436 by 1125, while the iPhone 11 Pro Max is 2688 by 1242. This comes out to 458 pixels per inch in both sizes. Apple also says that the iPhone 11 Pro lineup features a wi wider dynamic range display called Super Retina XDR, which should further improve color reproduction. The iPhone 11 Pro also features a new 800 nits, nits max brightness, 1200 nits max brightness HDR display. This compares to the 625 nits max brightness of display of the iPhone 11. As mentioned earlier, the design of the iPhone 11 Pro is similar to the iPhone 11, but with a few key differences. For one, the iPhone 11 Pro features a new matte black glass design. Furthermore, the display stretches ever so slightly closer to the borders, while the edges are made out of stainless steel as opposed to aluminum. The biggest differentiator between the iPhone 11 and the iPhone 11 Pro is the camera technology. Apple has added an ultra-wide lens on both the iPhone 11 Pro and the iPhone 11 Pro Max, which is shown in the camera app. You can zoom out to take wider shots and see more, from 0.5 times to 2 times. The ultra-wide camera has f2.4 aperture with 120-degree field of view. The iPhone 11 Pro also features the same deep fusion technology as the iPhone 11, as well as the same upgraded front-facing camera. The iPhone 11 Pro and the iPhone 11 Pro Max feature the same A13 Bionic processor as the iPhone 11 and offer stellar improvements in battery life. The iPhone 11 Pro offers up to 4 hours longer battery life than the iPhone XS. That means you get up to 18 hours of video playback, 11 hours of streaming, and 65 hours of audio playback. Meanwhile, 
The iPhone 11 Pro Max offers 5 hours of additional battery life compared to the iPhone XS Max. That gives you 20 hours of video playback, 12 hours of video streaming, and 8 hours of audio playback. Both the iPhone 11 and the iPhone 11 Pro include 802.11 AX Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi 6, and Gigabit Class LTE. With these higher-end features comes a higher price tag. The iPhone 11 Pro starts at $999 for 64 gigs of storage, with the 256 gig model coming in at $1,149. You can upgrade to the 512 gigabyte for $1,349. The iPhone 11 Pro Max starts at $1,099 for 64 GB, $1,249 for 256 GB, and $1,449 for 512 GB. The iPhone 11 Pro and the iPhone 11 Pro Max are available in space gray, silver, gold, and an all-new midnight green. They're capable of fast charging and are the first iPhones ever to include an Apple 18-watt charger and lightning USB-C cable in the box. That's all for the iPhones introduced in the Apple keynote. So that concludes this segment and this episode of Navigate the Future with Nalay Mishra. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked it, please be sure to subscribe and share with your friends and friendly. Thank you. Your dear futurist, signing off.